Welcome to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast. Uh, once once again, uh, my name is Nathan Lear and I'm with my co-host Glenn Fairburn. Uh, today we are brought to you by Hewson Private Wealth. Hewson uh, Private Wealth is one of Australia's leading independent wealth management firms. Today, Glenn and I will have a discussion regarding the share market um, and basically hopefully give our listeners some, some insights in terms of what what shares are, their history, uh, perhaps how you can even go about buying shares and some of the key things to, to look out for when, when considering the purchase of shares. Um, the objective of this podcast is to improve our listeners' financial literacy. So hopefully for those that don't know much about shares or maybe are a little bit scared off by investing in shares, we'll, we'll kind of demystify how they work and, and give the listeners a little bit more knowledge to to make an informed decision. So we hope you enjoy the podcast and before we get started, I'd just like to let our listeners know that today's podcast is general advice only. So we haven't considered your uh, individual circumstances. So if you are considering buying shares, um, we do just reiterate, please do seek specialist advice. Uh, Thank you again and hopefully you enjoy today's podcast. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Um, I suppose when we when we think about investing and when a lot of our listeners, I suppose, consider setting up an investment portfolio, quite often they, they will go with what they're comfortable with. So I'll say a lot of people, when they start considering a long-term wealth accumulation plan, the first thing they start thinking about perhaps is an investment property or putting money aside perhaps in a term deposit. Um, and although a lot of people may be familiar with shares, I suppose there's that level of perhaps discomfort investing in the share market, uh, I suppose mainly driven by the fact that, um, that they probably don't understand it um, and a little bit fearful because they see the prices fluctuate on a day-to-day basis. Um, so I suppose today, Nathan, we're really keen, I suppose, to have a good discussion, demystify, I suppose, a lot of the myths around share investing and really get down to the nitty-gritty and explain what shares actually are. So I suppose... Um, passing over to you, if you if I was to ask you what is a share or a stock as they're commonly known in the US, how, how would you explain that? Sure. Yeah, so a share, a stock, equity, security, I guess it can go by a couple of different names. But but simply, it's owning a, a piece of a business. So, uh, you know, general companies obviously can be quite big in size. A share, a share market, uh, I guess, facilitates... Um, for many buyers and sellers of shares to own a own a small piece of a company, that's probably in simple terms. That's probably yes, how I I'd put it. I suppose the reason you would buy a share in a, in a company is arguably to benefit or share in the profitability of that business over a long period of time. And so you're you're handing over one dollar today, perhaps, on the expectation that you'll receive a share in those profits over a long period of time, and hopefully get that initial investment back, and maybe share in some um, dividends over a long period of time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the two sources of returns are, uh, is dividend income, which basically is a share of the profit each year perhaps, and then there's a hopefully a capital appreciation. If you invest $1 down the track, hopefully you can sell that out for, sell that to someone else for more than a dollar. So yeah, probably the two the two ways you can source your return. Yeah, and look, I'm definitely keen to have a further discussion as to what determines those two things, in particular... 
um, share price appreciation a little bit later. Um, but just to go back a, a step in regards to the, the um, shares or the share market in general, um, I suppose just a very brief discussion as to where it all started. Like what was the history of the share market? Sure. Oh, I think I think like we, we said at the start, uh, people had ownership in a in a company and I, I know I know we've we both kind of looked at the history of it and and I think it all started with the the British East India Company uh, where there was uh, I, I guess people had in, invested in a company well, it, well in terms of how it was broken up um, maybe, maybe you'll start maybe you go Glenn with how it was actually how it started from one company and how I know you spent a bit of time doing some research, but how how basically many people had a share in that one company. Yeah, so I suppose if you if you go back many hundreds of years, um, the East Indies became known as a region that was very wealthy in spices. So um, obviously, people were very keen to travel from um, from the UK across to the East Indies to benefit from that from that wealth. Um, but obviously, sending one ship across um, pretty dangerous oceans was high risk, and and that's effectively how it used to be done early on where you know if, if you were wanting to set up an expedition you may raise money from multiple sources but if that expedition expedition went bad obviously your investors would lose all of their money so a way that the british empire i suppose tried to reduce the risk um of, of those businesses so to speak was to set up multiple companies under the one entity so effectively you'd have a company and within that company there were multiple expeditions so if you invested in that company you're able then to diversify um, your exposure because if, let's just say, for example, 10 ships set sail um, and two didn't return, obviously then you're managing that risk. Um, so the advantage of setting up that company and also being able to issue shares to new investors was a way to diversify your exposure and minimise your risk. Um, and early on, that was actually a very, very profitable um, business um, and then resulted in a lot of other countries copying that sort of structure um, so countries in Spain, Portugal, and and the Netherlands um, also copied that structure and even expanded on it and improved it. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting way to look back how, how it all started. So, really, as you said, risk minimization rather than have one ship that gets taken over by a pirate and then I've lost all my money. I'll spread it around with with ten or whatever the m- number might be, um, and then from there, other countries saw how successful it was. Um, and then, the, then they created their own formal exchanges. Yeah, so the Dutch East India um, co- Trading Company was the first listed company on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange. Um, and I suppose when you look at the reason why it was created, aside from the ability to manage risk and diversify your investment, it also provided the opportunity for investors to take part in what was a very profitable enterprise. So effectively, that is one of the core um, beliefs or that one of the core purposes of share investing is that you want to share in the profits and the growth in a particular company and that that's what I think effectively would motivate you to buy a share in a business mm. and ever since the say the 1600s when I think this concept took off just uh, I guess a stat as we as we stand I think it was around the middle of last year middle of 2017 the total market capitalization for the share markets all around the world is around 76 trillion US dollars. So it's turned into big, big dollars, hasn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. I mean, and also, as you read through that information, I mean, there's exchanges effectively in every country in the world, even war-torn countries like Iraq, they've got their stock exchange. So 
I suppose very simplistically, a stock exchange is just a, a means to um, enable buyers and sellers of shares in multiple companies to, to transact. Um, and, and I suppose if we look back over the years as to what comprised the stock market or the share market, we've gone from a period where it was very manual. And I suppose a lot of people looking at historical videos may recall, you know, watching stockbrokers with chalkboards and, you know, fairly hectic trading floor. But now, as we know, it's very automated, isn't it? Mm. Well, I guess technology has done a lot of things to every facet of, of, of life and living and, and um, trading shares is no different, is it? Well, it's very efficient now as well, mm. isn't it? I mean, you can, I suppose back in the day, it might have been very difficult to trade shares in overseas markets, whereas now because everything is elect- electronic, um, it's very easy to buy and sell shares on any exchange anywhere in the world. Yeah, so, so even in the last 30, 30 years or so, um, before technology really took over, if, if I wanted to buy some, some shares, I'd have to engage a broker who probably would charge me a relatively high percentage base fee of, of the transaction. Um, and it'd be a lot more, I guess, laborious in terms of how you exchange the shares. I mean, it could even be physical settlement back, back 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, well, we, we've heard stories of you know, share certificates having to be physically delivered from one office to the next. Yeah, so a lot, a lot slower, a lot more time-consuming, a lot more costly. Yeah. Um, but really now with the advent of uh, online brokers, you can basically do a trade from you know, sitting at your computer and within seconds you can own those shares, can't you? Yeah, and I suppose, you know, if, if we think of the current theme within markets at the moment, well, industries, it's disruption, and there's been a, a lot of disruption in that sort of share-broking, stock-broking industry for the last probably 20 plus years where as you were saying it's really moved from that very manual process where you'd have a relationship with the broker and now you can sort of remove that middleman um, and do the trade yourself online so if a listener was asking i wanted to ask the question how do you how should i buy shares how would you answer that question yeah i mean it's it's a good question i, I think that the best place to start is by doing your research with the numerous brokers that are available online. Um, so if you did a you know a simple Google search, you'd probably be able to find the, the largest um, brokers or, or more common ones. Depending on how sophisticated you want to get, maybe looking at a broker that can provide domestic and international exchanges. Um, and, and look, there's a, there's a number of easy ways to set up accounts online now. Um, so I think that's probably the best place to start is by doing your research, just making sure that what well, costs, one, looking mm-hmm. at what the, the, tr- the costs of trades are at different levels because some online brokers charge a fixed fee for a certain trade, so up to, let's just say, $20,000, and then trades above that may be a percentage. So really just understand the costs of doing those trades. In particular, if you're interested perhaps in buying a, a share in a company overseas, it can be a little bit more expensive. Um, and then, of course, you've got the currency risk as well. Um, so I'll just suggest doing your homework, your research, perhaps online to begin with, um, pick a few names and then just compare the costs and the flexibility and also the markets that they provide. Mm. Yeah, I think the, the cost is coming down significantly. I know in, in Australia, one of, the, one of the major banks who has their broking arm, I, I think it's $10 a trade w- yeah. without up to whatever value. I suppose the other thing that I would add with that is, is low cost doesn't necessarily mean the best value because look if you're sort of a traditional um, share investor you still got a relationship with the broker 
yes, it might be more expensive, but if you find that broker adding value, mm. because I suppose for someone who doesn't have the experience trading in shares just to set up a, an online trading account, it's not as easy as that. Well, yeah, I, I think we, I asked the question, how do you buy shares? So it's very easy, as we've just spoken about. It's so easy to buy shares, but it's probably more the question, what shares do you buy? That, exactly, and that, that's the next that, thing, isn't it? That would dictate, do you go through a, a simple online broker? Do you go to a more traditional stock broker or do you go to uh, an advisor or a fund manager? I guess I guess it gets, you have to dig a little bit deeper to what kind of company or investment that you want to purchase. Uh, uh, yeah, and look, that's probably mm. something that I'd really, I'm keen to have a discussion about. But before we sort of delve into how we go about or how anyone should go about selecting shares and investing in the share market, um, very simplistically, um, you know, we see the share market fluctuate on a day-to-day basis, shares going up and down. In the end, what is it that determines the price of a share? Uh, I think it's it's simple, that, that one. It's supply and demand. Yeah. You can overcomplicate it as much as you want, but it's it's buyers and sellers of that share. So the more the more buyers or the more people that want it, it's going to push the price higher. And the other way around, the more sellers, more people dumping a stock, it's going to push the price down. So it's like any commodity, isn't it? The more, yeah. the more people want of a particular share um, obviously there may be less sellers so that'll push the price up whereas as you were saying if there's a situation where there's more sellers than buyers obviously the market has to adapt mm. to facilitate the trades of the share price will be will be pushed down um, so it, it is mm. pretty simplistic or pretty simple economics there isn't it with with buying and that's selling, right uh, that's, that's right simply just determined by demand and supply so one of the things that perhaps um, steers potential investors away from shares if they compare perhaps with property is 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 volatility um, so as I said earlier we see shares going up and down on a day-to-day basis and that can put people off where they sort of view share investing more as gambling as opposed to you know perhaps buying a property where they buy it and invest for a long period of time H- how would you I suppose I suppose demystify that comment when people regard share purchasing or share investing as speculation or as gambling um, versus, I suppose, more long-term investors where they are comfortable buying a company for the long term. How, how would you talk to someone about share investing who has that perception that it's just gambling? Sure. Look, I, I hear that a little bit where people compare investing to gambling. I don't necessarily agree with that at all. I think it depends on how you go about investing and you know your principles behind it. Uh, if, if you're just making speculative calls on maybe smaller companies and you want to make a quick gain, yes, I could see why people look at that as gambling. But if you take a more longer-term fundamental approach to buying companies where whatever the measures are that you follow uh, or adopt – but you buy a company, you know, with the the Warren Buffett style of investing, you know, where you're going to own it for, you know, ten years. It's a quality business. You know, you're making sure you're not overpaying for it. Perhaps, you know, you're buying it at a maybe a fair or reasonable price. Um, I, I consider that investing, um, where you know you're going to get a, a profit from that, a, a regular, I guess, benefit of being a shareholder. Whether it's an annual dividend, maybe they don't pay a dividend. Maybe you'll just see a, a capital appreciation. I, I think that's long-term investing where you're taking the volatility or speculation out of the equation. 
I think one of the benefits of share investing is is that you do get that liquidity. So being able to sell it obviously fairly quickly if you need to. Um, but with what you were saying then, in some ways it can be a disadvantage knowing what the investment's worth every second of the day between 10 and 4 p.m., can't it? Because it, it, it can change your mindset. You compare that with a property where most people would buy a property and they wouldn't look at valuing it until they go to sell it, which could be five, six, seven, ten years down the track. I, I just, I've often wondered and, and said many times, in particular with property investment, if the same valuation was provided, where if, if you drove, drove home after work every night and saw what your house was worth or drove past your investment property and saw what it was worth every day, whether the same mindset that you had with shares would flip over to property. So my, my sort of thoughts have always been that although the share market provides that advantage where you see what the price is every second of the day and you can buy and sell it every second of the day, for, for a lot of um, investors, it, it just adds that layer of perhaps of anxiety because you see the value of your assets fluctuate on a day-to-day basis. Whereas, as you were saying, that the best way to look at share investing is is basically just viewing it as buying part of a business. So if you bought a company, you wouldn't be worried about selling that two months down the track. Um, and you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, Warren Buffett says that he, would, he would only buy something that he'd be perfectly happy holding if the market shut down for 10 years. So basically not worrying about what the short-term price is, do your research, understand a company, be comfortable with it, buy, benefit from the... Um, shares in profits over a long period of time and then let the market growth take care of itself over a long period of time. Um, I I think the publicly traded market does create no doubt volatility and and uncertainty for a lot of people and there's no doubt what you said about you know the comparisons about the property market and the share market we've spoken about that many times and it changes the mindset of people but I think at the same time I think you said, you know, is it a disadvantage? And to a degree, yes, because of the volatility. But at the same time, I think it's it's a big advantage as well. Mm. If you're a smart investor with smart principles and the market volatility means that you own a great quality business and nothing has changed from the day you buy it to six months later and it's 20% cheaper, I, I know how I look at that. Yeah. I want to buy more of it. It's 20% cheaper. It's on sale hey, let's go get some, if you have the resources available, let's go use that cash and buy more of it. So it's using other people's fear to your own advantage, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's like going to the department store. You don't buy things when the price is going up. You go and buy things when, when things are on sale. But people have the opposite with shares. They have the opposite they mindset, do, don't, right? don't they? They usually want to buy it with the momentum when it's going up. Which yeah. Kind of like you know the whole Bitcoin thing at the moment. People like to buy it when it's going up. Yeah. And we're kind of, I think good investors from the, you know, the Warren Buffett school do the opposite. Yeah, they want to buy it on sale. Your decisions, don't you? Yeah. And there's a big difference getting back to the investing versus speculating. There's there's a massive difference between the two, isn't there? I mean, Invest, speculation yeah. is effectively just looking at an asset and wanting to benefit from its share, from its you know very short term appreciation. So as we were talking about before, and many times the whole cryptocurrency, Bitcoin thing, and basing that decision on nothing. Yeah, I mean, how can you value it? You're yeah. not really valuing it on on any metrics whatsoever. Whereas investing is when you're looking at, it may not necessarily be shares, it may be any asset, looking at what its future cash flows might be and then determining what price am I willing to pay today Mm. in order to benefit from those future cash flows. I mean, that's investing, not just buying something Mm. because it's going up and everyone else is buying Mm. it and and hope to make a quick dollar and get out of it. That's gambling and that's speculation. Yep. Um, So 
you know, for a lot of people, although the valuations may change on a day-to-day basis, that doesn't mean that whenever you buy a share, you're speculating or gambling. There's a key difference between that and buying a share in a business that you're happy owning for a, for a long period of time. And that's why we say when you want to invest in shares, they are volatile, so you need to be a long-term investor. So when you first buy a share, you need to give it time, and you need we say a minimum of five years' time because markets can be really irrational and volatile in the short term. And if you buy a share today and in two years' time, due to uh, irrational markets, it's, it's, it's at a lower price, even if maybe it shouldn't be, based on fundamentals, it shouldn't be lower, but it is, you need to hang in there and you need to give the market time for the fundamentals to f- effectively you know, catch up and, right. and be reflected in the market price. And a great example of that was, was more recent, so it was probably Brexit, where the market fell, well, it, pretty much any share in the top 100 fell um, over that sort of two-week period. But when you looked at fundamentally all the businesses, a lot of them weren't even going to be impacted by that. It was just the market fear setting in where people just wanted to sell everything and take risk off the table. Whereas when you took a step back and actually analysed individual companies and what the impacts may be, um, you could see that it wasn't that great. And that's why the market Mm. recovered so quickly. But if you had reacted to what everyone else was doing in that situation, you perhaps would have been selling as the market had fallen. And then the market recovered very quickly. So when do you buy back in? Probably back above where... Mm. Where you you know where you'd sold out from, so you've really gained nothing in that sort of situation. Hmm. And it all, as you said earlier, with you know discounting the cash flows and whatnot, it, it all comes back to earnings. So whatever that business is that you buy, if that's earning a certain amount, yes, there can be uncertainty around the future earnings, but you know that's why general history can be a good guide, and you need to take a I, I guess that macro and long term view that if you if you buy that company and you hold it in ten years time, based on what it's earning, you're probably going to have more, you know, more money than you start with. So that, that's our approach. Try to take that that speculation, the short term noise, out of the equation. Just on that, I mean, as far as we, we've spoken about looking at companies as long term investments, what what are some of the things that our listeners should be looking for or understanding when they're perhaps doing research on shares to make a decision as to which ones they may be interested in investing in. I th- yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one to answer because I think they need to understand their objective. Like, just to put it back on the objective first, like, why are they going into this investment or this share? Yeah, Is I, it I suppose it, one of the things that I was, I was, I suppose, um, leading to was there can be some information that you can get publicly that can be misleading. Like one of, one of the sort of metrics that I was keen to have a bit of a discussion about is dividend yield. So for, for people who don't know, dividend yield is effectively the percentage income return that you'll receive by investing in a share. So basically the interest rate that you'll get by purchasing a share. But that in isolation can be quite misleading, can't it? Because mm. you might have a situation where a company is paying an 8% dividend uh, and you compare that with a company that's maybe paying a 2% dividend. So if I was to ask the layman, which is the better company, arguably the, the one that's paying 8% on the face of it is better than the company paying 2%. But it, it is very misleading, isn't it? Oh, it's very misleading because what if the that 8% dividend-paying company is going down in capital by 10% each year? You know, what, what's your total return? Negative 2%. Where that other other company you compared it to is paying two percent, 
and appreciating by 10% each year, what's your total return on that one? 12%. So yeah, that's why I think total return is so important when looking at at companies. But also looking at what is behind the dividend because you in that situation where you've got one company paying 8%, if they're paying out 100% of their profits, as you were saying, you're unlikely to get a lot of growth from that company versus a company you know company B which is perhaps paying a 2% dividend. If they're withholding part of their profits, let's just say they they're saying to their investors, "Look, we've made a dollar in profit, We'll pay you 50 cents. Let us hold on to 50 cents and we'll reinvest back into our business and grow our company. That means that as a shareholder, you're basically saying, well, look, I'm prepared to receive a lower dividend today on the expectation that dividends will grow at a certain rate into the future. So therefore, I get increasing income, but also increasing um, value in my shares. Um, so that, that's pro- can you think of any other sort of stats that can be a little bit misleading or, or other things that people perhaps should look at? I think one of the points that we, we spoke about earlier, Glenn, before the podcast was the uh, the share price. Yeah. I think you had a couple of examples you were going to go through, but I think that's that's often something that, that trips people up when they're looking at shares for the first time. Yeah, they think just because the share price is higher than another that, that it's worth That's more. worth more. <laughs> the, the example that, that, that I sort of that I came across was just you know two overseas based companies both in the sort of tech sector where you've got Microsoft and you've got Facebook. Um, now Microsoft's share price is around ninety dollars, um, and Facebook's around one hundred and eighty dollars. So for the layman, which one would you think is actually more valuable out of those two companies? So Facebook, in share price terms, is double the share price of Facebook. So if you just looked at in pure figures, you would say, well, Facebook must be two times the value of Microsoft. But it is very much driven by how many shares the companies have on issue. And the correct answer is that Microsoft um, is currently worth about $695 billion and Facebook $522 billion. So you can see there's a big difference between a share price and what its market capitalization is. So just because a share price might be higher doesn't necessarily mean that it's expensive or that it may not have future share price appreciation. So in our local market, for example, CSL, I think it's trading at $140. If you looked at that, you might think, oh, that's expensive. Maybe I don't want to buy that company because its share price is quite large. Um, and perhaps look at another company like a Telstra, which is trading at $3.60. So you may think there's a big discrepancy between value between those two companies, but there's a lot more into it than that, isn't there? Definitely, definitely. And as I was saying, the, the big difference there is um, shares on issue. Sure. Did, I'm not sure where you wanted to go next, Glenn, but but something I was going to bring up uh, was just a, a couple of statistics about the Australian market. Obviously, we're in Australia, so I thought it'd be yeah, uh, sure. good to have a, a look at that. Um, so the, the the total size of the market is somewhere around two trillion dollars. So obviously, it's a big it's a big marketplace. Um, there's around I think around two thousand two hundred companies somewhere around that. It changes obviously every day. So just over two thousand companies listed on the share market. Um, but probably, oh, and daily turnover is around $5 billion. So, I mean, think of it, there's a lot of $5 billion every day is changing, massive, massive changing money, hands. Yeah. So, it's a, it's a big turnover. Um, an interesting thing that people may or may not be aware of, that of the top 200 companies, um, that represents around 82% of the value of the overall market. So, the, the, I guess the real power or in terms of size of the market comes from the top the top 200 companies. Yep. A lot of people wouldn't know that. No, and also just, just expanding on that, when you look at, I suppose, in particular, the top 100, um, our market isn't very diversified, is it? 
it's very concentrated to resource stocks and banking stocks. Yeah, yeah, like definitely. And I've got the uh, I've got the, st- the the rough stats where thirty five percent of the market Australian market is financials. So it's over over a third. That that that's big. Yeah, and I, I, I suppose that's where, as we've spoken about in in previous podcasts, perhaps where in Australia you've got to be really conscious of that when you're looking at perhaps investing in the share market in particular if you're going down the managed fund path and you're looking at an index fund you do have to be very mindful of the fact that you are going to have a very sort of heavy tilt towards financial so banks and resource stocks don't you yeah if you're picking individual companies you can select what company what what sector that company operates in but if you do go with like managed funds that try and replicate those top 200 companies or an index fund that replicates those top 200 companies, yeah, I think you've got to be really aware of what you're investing in. So and just to go down the list a little bit further, financials, as I said, are 35%. Uh, materials or resources, 16%. Um, and then we've got healthcare and, and, and real estate uh, around 8%. So yeah, you can see that um, there is... It's, look, Australia is known for being very heavy finance, financials and, and resources, no doubt about that. And, and I suppose just, just to add on to that, when you're looking at setting up a share portfolio, as you were saying earlier, Nathan, I think aligning that share portfolio with your objectives is really important and determining how much of your, your, your um, total portfolio should comprise of shares. Um, but if you sort of isolate that share p- portion of your portfolio, um, I mean, commonly, you know, if you look at portfolio theory, they probably say that 12 stocks would be the minimum that perhaps you should look at including within that portfolio just to give you adequate diversification. Mm. Um, and I suppose a lot of people who dabble in the share market might buy one or two companies and if one of those goes down, obviously you're gonna, you, you, there's potential to lose half of your wealth. So spreading that across 12 companies, the theory is that you know that they're not all going to perform as you would have liked. Um, but in the end, if you have more winners than losers, you're probably going to do quite nicely, in particular if you're diversifying that portfolio perhaps across different sectors um, and being cautious to which investments that you do purchase, that can put you in a good position longer term. So I suppose that that's the advice that I would um, be keen to pass on to people is obviously aligning your portfolio with what your objectives are. Seek advice to make sure that you know, you've got an adequate exposure to share market and you're not over or underexposed, but then also making sure that you've got adequate diversification within that share portfolio as well. Would would you would you say to potential investors in the share market? We looked at dividend yield being one consideration, which can it's not always as straightforward as it seems. But would there be any other kind of key metrics or key measures that you would encourage a potential investor to consider? I suppose one one that is very popular and people probably heard of is price to earnings ratio, which is effectively the multiple. Um, so share price as a multiple of earnings. Um, so theory is that anything below 15 can represent good value. So basically what that would mean is that it would take you 15 years. If you paid um, $10 for a share um, and the price to earnings ratio was 10, then it would take you 10 years to get your money back. That, that, in very simplistic terms, that's, that's what it um, is defined as. So, so you'd, be paying, you'd be paying $100 in that example, is that right? Yeah, yeah. hundred dollars so, for that so, company share. Yeah, so sorry, if the earnings um, are ten, so if you, if the earnings per share is ten, um, and the price to earnings ratio is ten, that obviously you're paying ten times if, if the share price is a hundred dollars. Yep. So so effectively, you've got ten years of 
earnings to get your $100 back. Yeah, but there's also, once again, there's a lot of things that go into that as well because you might look at a company that's got a high price-to-earnings ratio. Let's just say it's 25 and it, on, on that sort of basis, you might say, well, that's expensive. Perhaps I don't want to buy that company. But it does come down to what sort of earnings growth you're going to have as well. So quite often, growth-type companies will trade on a higher price-to-earnings ratio because as an investor, you're saying, well, I'm prepared to pay more for this company today because although my dividend and my earnings might be low in year one, my expectation is that there would be significant growth in that so that I'll benefit from that over a long period of time. Whereas perhaps a low growth company might trade on a lower price, price to earnings multiple. That, that's right. Yeah, look, I think the, the PE ratio is a, is a popular measure. Um, and I think as long as you understand it, that just because it's a low PE doesn't mean that it's necessarily always cheap. Yeah, cheap isn't always good either. Yeah. There might be reasons behind that. Yeah. And it's, all, it's backward looking quite often as well. It's based on last year's earnings. Mm. So if earnings aren't going to be the same this year as what they were last year, then that whole price earnings multiple could, could be completely mm. wrong. So in terms of buying shares, fundamental analysis is one way you can do it where you're looking at you know, things like dividend yields or price to earnings ratios that we just spoke about. Uh, we won't, won't speak about it for too long, but another... Another way that people buy or, or do research to buy shares is technical analysis where uh, it's more charting where they're basically looking at, at trends in the market. Is that, it would, would it be fair to say that that's more um, used by sort of short-term share traders as opposed to long-term investors? Yeah, or that's could, a fair comment. Both? I think it's probably more short-term in nature. You go into a trade and, and hopefully you make a quick profit and you'll exit that trade. That, that's how I understand Technical analysis, yeah, and more short term. Even that, you know, we've probably been spending more time talking about more value investing or the fundamental analysis where you're looking at the fundamentals of the business, so their balance sheet, their profitability. Um, but I suppose there's no harm in using both. Like as a value investor, you may do all your analysis looking at earnings and price to earnings ratios and dividends, but then you also might overlay how the share price is trading. So you can see if it's in a down cycle it may be an opportunity to buy so there's multiple different things that you can look at in order to determine um with when and how you'll, you'll invest in the share market um so look on, on that note i hope that we've given you all some further information about share investment as always we'd strongly encourage you to seek independent advice our belief is that for most people looking at a long-term investment portfolio where they want to mitigate risk and also perhaps maximise the potential for returns, that shares together with other asset classes should form a um, core component of their long-term portfolios. Uh, but once again, important to seek independent advice so that it aligns with your objectives. Look, hope you all enjoyed the podcast and we look forward to speaking to you all again next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Money Mentors podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Um, as always, please have a look at Hewison Private Wealth's website www.hewison.com.au. We also love your feedback, so please make sure to leave feedback uh, on on iTunes or your podcasting app. Uh, please also subscribe to the podcast. Um, our major sponsor, Hewison Private Wealth, also is available uh, to for you to have a look at via all the social media channels, including. Facebook, uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, thank you once again. We hope to see you for next week's show.